If you have your Bibles this morning, let's get to the part that I actually know what I'm talking about. Uh, in Joshua chapter 5, sorry, Becca, I'll try not to do that again. In Joshua chapter 5 is where we're going to be today. And uh, have a great opportunity here to uh, look at this. It's kind of a strange chapter, though. You kind of come out of chapter 1 uh, and 2. Uh, you know, 1 is where Joshua set up for leadership. 2 is where um, Rahab and the spies thing happened. 3 and 4, the crossing of the Jordan. Then you're like, let's take Jericho. Chapter 5 is not that. It's a little bit like this. Um, we are driving home yesterday um, from vacation, the little light comes on, on the fuel gauge thing, You're like, okay, pretty close to uh, needing to uh, stop here. Well, the next town where we were uh, was Huntsville, my hometown. And so uh, Jenny is on Yelp. She's looking at all the restaurants. Uh, she's like, let's get something relatively quick. So we stop at Mr. Hamburger um, in Huntsville for Mr. Hamburger, a kind of a famous old thing. And um, we, we pull in. It's, it's downtown, so we leave the interstate, go downtown, uh, eat at Mr. Hamburger, get some gas. Uh, we drive by, take an extra block. Look, kids, there's a prison. Don't end up there. That was part of the tour. <laughs> Did you ever go in there, Dad? Uh, we don't talk about that. You know, that kind of thing. Um, we drive by. On our way back out, we're going back out the main street there uh, towards the interstate a couple of miles, and it's a four-lane road with a turn lane in the middle. Um, and I am finding myself growing, it's only two miles, but I am finding myself growing more and more frustrated. I'm like, why am I more and more frustrated? Well, because there are people who do not drive with the same level of determination that I do in getting from point A to point B. Are you with me on this? Like, Smaller town people, they just don't have the same sense of let's move things on along here. You know what I mean? And so there are two cars, and I don't know if they were talking or exchanging phone numbers or what, but there are two cars that are just riding together. I mean, just right beside the whole thing. And I'm behind them going, I'm pretty sure you're under the speed limit. And if not, you should, I mean, like they should raise the speed limit or something because like we're five lanes and these two people are just moving on along. And I'm like, let's get out of this town. I left it once. I'm leaving it again. You know what I mean? And, um, <clears throat> Joshua chapter 5 is a little bit like that. Because I, I found myself at a, at a light, being frustrated, and, and I just, it's probably not good that I'm so frustrated with small town traffic. You get out here on the Gulf Freeway and you get stopped at traffic, you're like, eh, it's Houston, what else is going to happen? You get stopped in a small town and you're like, what in the world is going on? It's probably not so good that I'm frustrated. But, but, because there's a... a, a a positive kind of interruption to our lives sometimes. And this is what Joshua chapter 5 is. You would expect the text to go right to Jericho and here comes the fight. And God, before he lets them go to the fight, God interrupts them with chapter 5. That's where we are today, okay? So uh, here we're going to talk about, in our day and age, just briefly, speed is everything, right? Faster phones, faster internet, all that. But here we get interrupted and it's a good interruption. So in chapter five, uh, we're going to start with this kind of theme of ready, set, and then go. So uh, chapter five, the first nine verses are the getting ready part. So starting in verse one, as soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan, for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. That's exactly what Rahab said had happened. And here it is happening again. Verse two, 
At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. It wasn't that the people who were going to be circumcised were being circumcised a second time. It's that they were circumcised coming out of Egypt, and here they are going to do uh, it again for a new generation. Verse three, uh, 4, sorry. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them, because all of the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, they had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Remember that? 40 years in the wilderness, going to take out an entire generation who had been faithless to God. Verse 5, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, though all the people who had come out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord, the Lord swore to them that he would not let them see that land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 7. So it was their children, whom he had raised up in their place, that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And when the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. Uh, And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal, which is... Sounds a little bit like roll in the Hebrew. Uh, it's called Gilgal to this day. Uh, so we want to do ready, set, and then go. And here's where we start, ready. And we start with this whole idea of circumcision. And uh, again, it's kind of a funny thing to talk about. But I mean, this, this is what's in front of us here. And what it represents to us is something really crucial. Um, because uh, what, what that command and that action represented was absolute obedience. They were preparing to go into the promised land, preparing to fight the fight. They crossed the river, and now they're kind of moving towards the action scene, if you will, in the text. But before they do that, they had to be ready, and what was going to mark their readiness was absolute obedience. Absolute obedience to to what God said. A couple of things here, just quickly. Uh, Number one, uh, obedience is sometimes painful. I'm not making light of this. I just want to point out, you know, you got flint knives involved. And then in verse nine, eight, excuse me, verse eight, until they were healed. Sometimes obedience is painful. And here's what I want to say about that. The things that God asks us to do are not always pleasant things. They're not. You think about some of the things that God commands us to do, says we need to do to be a part of this. And they're not always pleasant things. They're not always uh, um, uh, easy things. There is a emotional and a physical and a relational toll that often goes along with, goes along with obedience to Christ. Do you remember back in the day uh, when the, um, the toll road didn't have an easy tag? You remember that? Everybody had to get in line. Everybody had to toss their coins in, all that kind of stuff. Like it wasn't all that simple. Uh, when the easy tag came along, everybody was like, yes, that's how we want our, our relationship with God to be. We're like, you people clear out of the way. I'm going through the easy lane. This is not always the case when it comes to following God. Sometimes obedience is very hard. It is very painful. And let me just give you a couple of examples. Anybody ever had a hard time forgiving somebody? But God, if I let them off the hook, I'm pretty sure like the universe will explode because they really wronged me on this. What you you mean is my universe is going to explode. That's what you really mean. But God, you, know, you, you don't know the things that... Actually, he does know. And the command stands, live as a forgiving kind of person. Why? Because you've been forgiven even more than you're going to ever forgive. Um, how about this one? Uh, having patience. Driving on a 
four-lane road in your hometown, all of a sudden, apparently, driving Miss Daisy pulls out in front of you, and you're just kind of, that was a small thing. Forget all the other stuff about raising kids and, I mean, patience. Patience. Um, Here's another one. In our day and age when uh, things are just, I mean, every cultural uh, wind that's blowing, every cultural wave that's pushing, it's pushing us toward everything but purity. Yet what does God call us to be? A people who are pure, a, a people who are purified, made holy by the, by the blood of Jesus and, and kept holy by his grace. And, and yet the wind is blowing and the waves are pushing and try to shove us toward um, an accommodation or, or an enculturation into everything that it says. But God says, hey, be pure. Live as a pure people. One of the other things, especially in our area, that we're pushing toward here, uh, the culture is pushing toward, is that things are so material, right? There's just any, the things that you care about are things you can put your hands on. And so fighting against materialism um, is generosity. So, how, oh, here's the money part. That's not, I'm not talking about money. I'm just saying, what if we as a people, or doesn't God call us to be as a people, generous people, who are just open-handed and open-hearted with everything that we have and every part of who we are, we just give. We just give. Why? Because we've been given so much. And so what if we generously just gave of ourselves to people? Nothing in this world is going to move you towards generosity. Did you notice that? Everything in this world is going to move you towards getting all you can and holding on to all you can. Those things are difficult. Those things are painful at times to do, but yet God calls us to these things. Not only is it painful, sometimes though it also, like here, seems unnecessary. If I'm going to lead a war, I'm, that me as a general, I'm not going to have those guys do that whole circumcision bit before I go fight. I'll do that afterwards. Anybody with me on that? Doesn't that make the most sense? Three days, you got to heal up. Do you want your soldiers sitting on the sidelines for three days? What if they come against us during those three days, God? What are you gonna, I mean, it doesn't always make sense. Sometimes following God is painful, and sometimes following God is completely asensical. It just, you're like, what? But yet, God has a plan even in the midst of this, because what he was preparing them for is not a military invasion of a, of a land but instead to be a holy people in the land that God was giving them. That's very, very different in mindset. Absolute obedience, even though it's painful, even though it seems unnecessary, absolute obedience. The second part of this, and I didn't know how else to say this, um, is this verse 9. It's this amputated shame. You've got obedience for sure, but you've also got this shame that's been cut off and taken away. Look at verse 9. And the Lord said to Joshua today, I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. The the reproach of Egypt was this, this overhanging cloud that our fathers failed. 40 years in the wilderness we've been wandering around because our fathers failed. Uh, and so the name of that place is called Gilgal. And God's saying, hey, uh, your obedience in this moment, I, I just want you to know, uh, I see you being obedient. And the action that I'm taking over here is I'm taking that off of you, man. I'm pulling that. Why, why, why did their fathers fail? Sometimes dads fail, uh, especially in, in, uh, here in this case. It could have been that they were just ignorant. I mean, you're wandering around the wilderness for 40 years, sometimes you forget some stuff. They did not know how to bring their kids into the covenant. 
um, sometimes their fathers, they just shirked their responsibility. It wasn't necessarily that they didn't know how. <clears throat> the dads were just too busy in the wilderness. They were taking care of their families. I've got, got to provide for my family. I mean, so what, it's a little busy right now. I can't, I can't really do the things that I'm supposed to do to bring you into the covenant, to teach you the ways of God, to be a part of what God's doing here on the earth. Uh, yeah, I would, sorry I didn't circumcise you as an eight-day-old kid. Instead, I, I was just too busy taking care of our family. Nobody, no dads in here, right? That doesn't apply to anybody too busy to really. Okay, just check in. Sometimes it's rebellion. Sometimes you're just ignorant, and I mean that in the best way. Uh, sometimes you shirk your responsibility, and sometimes it's just flat-out rebellion. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know how to do it, and I've got the time to do it. I've got you know, the room to do it or whatever. I just don't care. I just flat don't care. Um, and of course, that is exactly what brought the wrath of God, what put that cloud, if you will, over those people anyway. Um. <clears throat> Here's the great thing, and here's why obedience um, was necessary for them. They would do what their fathers failed to do. They would do, the, these people would do what their fathers failed to do. Not only was God going to take that big overhanging cloud away, just jerk it right out of there, but he was also going to give them what he was not going to give to their fathers. These people would do what their fathers failed to do. And so, man, what a great message on Father's Day. Uh, because some of you grew up with dads who um, were ignorant about God and the things of God. Some of you grew up with dads who shirked their responsibility to your family or to you spiritually or in some other way. And some of you grew up with dads who rebelled, who walked away from God uh, and who uh, you know, incurred God's wrath and, and you caught a, a big portion of that. You know, your life was marked by that. This is my story. I have a good relationship with my dad, so this is not about me bashing or anything like that. But I was 22, 22 years old, a senior at Baylor. Um, I, I knew there were some bad things. Uh, my dad, even at one point, had come to find out, had lied flat to my face. I get a phone call uh, uh, the Thursday after I graduated from Baylor. My brother, hey, you need to get home. Things are about to go sideways here, and you need to be home. So lickety split as fast as I could possibly take my little Dodge car. I drove uh, from Waco to Huntsville, come to find out that's exactly what happened. Through my dad's choices, he completely torpedoed my family. And man, you know, there was shrapnel everywhere, everywhere, lodged all over the place, all over the house, in my heart, in my relationships. I still, you feel the reverberations of, uh, of that explosion. I promise you this, you go up and you ask my wife, what is your greatest insecurity? And the answer that she will give you is this, that uh, Trent, who's a lot like his dad, will do the things that his dad did. She wasn't even there when that went down. But yet she carries the weight of that. Here's the great news. If you had a dad who uh, was ignorant, you had a dad who shirked his responsibility, or you had a dad who rebelled, God in this story and God in your story is willing to give you a new start. Meaning you don't have, you may be marked by the things that happen, but you don't have to be defined by them. Scars can be just scars or they can be points where, by which you tell a story of how God has worked in your life and how he has moved in your life. What has happened doesn't mean 
that it will necessarily or definitively happen. Just, just because your dad did the things that he did, whatever they were, doesn't mean that you will become like him. I'm going to be 90 years old. You're going to lay me in the grave. I'm still going to be wearing this ring right here. Here's why. Because I get a new start. Not because I'm not capable. Not because you're not capable. But because God gives me a new start. Amen to that? So this sense of, of readiness, of absolute obedience, and the shame that's been taken away. I don't have to carry the stuff that, that, that is going to try to be passed down. I don't have to walk around in this cloud, if you will, overhanging me. God is willing to pull that away. Why? Because he's in the business of giving new starts. If you're here this morning, and uh, man, you just think to yourself, hey, listen, uh, boy, new start, that sure sounds like a great plan. That's the business that we're in. This is what Jesus has done for us. When he died on the cross, um, he took our sin. And so all the junk that was in our lives and all the stuff that got passed down to us, all the sin and all of the shame, he bore in his body. And when he rose from the dead three days later, what, what he said in doing so, what he proved in doing so is, hey, that stuff, that doesn't have say over your life anymore. I do. And we'd love, love to have a conversation with you about what it means to, to get a new start in Christ uh, if, if you need one. There can be shame that's taken away. So this is a readiness. This circumcision readies us. It readies, readied them and it readies us um, to walk into the things that God has for us. That's what obedience does. Uh, you know, when they get in the starting block, I never actually ran track. I was way too slow. But when they get in the starting block, you know, they they ready and then sit and they crouch and they're and you've got these kind of final thoughts right before the gun goes off. That's what set means. And the final thought that that God wanted them thinking about before they launched into the promised land is Passover. That's what we where we are in verse ten. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal. They kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. Verse 11, and the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, and parched grain. Uh, verse 12, and the manna ceased that day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. So Passover, uh, a couple of things under here. Number one, just remember this, that this is that final thought before you launch, uh, that salvation is for celebrating. Salvation is for celebrating. What Passover symbolized for the, the people of Israel was God's deliverance out of Egypt. Um, they celebrated it once a year. Uh, we do something similar uh, that, that Jesus instituted for us the first Sunday of every month when we celebrate communion. We take that little cracker. We remember that Jesus died bodily for us and bore our sins. We take that juice. We drink. We remember that the blood of Jesus covers us, and we, know we are not under condemnation but instead are, are free from both sin and shame and the, and the punishment that goes along with that. So salvation is for celebrating, and it's a great reminder for us, um, and it's a great, it was a great reminder for them, it's a great reminder for us that when God has done something before, He can do it again. He had brought them out of Egypt, a foreign country. He had brought them out of a bad spot, and yet they're on the edge of the promised land looking at Jericho with its high walls, and what are they thinking? I'm in a bad spot. And so what is this reminding them? Hey, God's done this once. He can do it again. He can do it again. And secondly, it's, it's this rhythm um, to this when they did this regularly because our hearts are prone to forget. They're prone to wander like the, like the song says. <clears throat> and so this rhythm uh, that God established for them to gather and to remember um, together and to celebrate, uh, this rhythm kept them uh, 
connected, bringing them back to what was important. And, and lastly, under the salvation part, is that, that this worship, this whole idea of worship is to remind us and to help us calibrate, if you will, ourselves so that our hearts stay connected to God. Our hearts stay connected to God. Can we flip back? It's a little bit of a long passage, but flip back to Deuteronomy chapter 8. I'm going to read these verses along with you. Deuteronomy is the book right before Joshua. Find chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 3. This is what it says. And he, that's God, and God humbled you and let you hunger and then fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's good, isn't it? Your clothing did not wear out on, your, uh, on you, and your foot did not swell those 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and of vines and fig trees and pomegranates a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron, and out of hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat, and you shall be full. You shall bless the Lord. There's that worship. You shall bless the Lord your God for the good land He has given you. One of the great things about worship is it calibrates our hearts. And then God gives them a warning, and we need to hear this too. Verse 11, take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes which I command you today, lest when you've eaten and you're full and have built good houses and live in them, when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, meaning there is a danger to prosperity. Suburbia, there's a danger to prosperity. Verse 15, uh, who led you through uh, the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. That's how God always works is to do us good in the end. So salvation is for celebrating and worship calibrates our hearts around God, reminding us what's important and what is not. Secondly, under this, that God never quit providing for his children. Back in Joshua chapter 5, when they got there and they celebrated the Passover, what happened to the manna the next day? It stopped. Was God mad? Was God mad, you think? No, he wasn't mad. They were home. He didn't need to provide manna anymore. He had already provided for them in this land. He had provided um, uh, fruit and fountains and water and grapes and all this stuff. He had already provided all of that stuff for them. Just because God, well, let me just say this this way positively first. God never, ever, ever stops providing for his children, ever. That provision may change. It may look different. I mean, it may be all of those things, but he never stops providing for his children. He gave them manna in the wilderness because they needed manna and they needed to depend upon God. And then he brought them to the place that he had provided and readied for them. Some of you are in transition. You think to yourself, oh, this new job, what am I going to do? Listen, 
God's going to provide for you. That's what's going to happen. Well, it's sure going to look different. It may look different, but God's going to provide for you. He's prepared a place for you. That's, that's what we think. We think about salvation and deliverance, and then we think about God's provision. That's what we think. And when you have circumcision and you add that to the Passover, it's a reminder that, hey, you are my people. That's what God has done to these people of Joshua. And why it's so important before you go to battle, before Monday happens, together on Sunday and say, oh yeah, we are God's people. We are God's people. We may not have started so smoothly, but that doesn't change the nature of the relationship. Last part, when they're launching out of the blocks, here's what they found out. It's, it's not that they're going to go, it's that I will go. Verse 13 in chapter 5 of Joshua. Joshua 5.13, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. So, I mean, Joshua looks up, and all of a sudden there's a dude with a sword, not in its sheath still, I mean, but fully out, and he's standing there with his sword. Now, if that's me, I might have had a different response than Joshua. Like, after I had wet my pants, I might have gotten some people around and went, what should we do about this? Joshua, on the other hand, Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, I'm the commander, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Well, let's go take Jericho. No, look, verse 15. And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Joshua had a mentor. His name was Moses. You remember him having an encounter with God at a burning bush? And what did he tell him to do? To take off his sandals. Okay, So this is that kind of moment. And just notice these three things about this commander um, thing. When you're, when you're launching out, readied, through your obedience, set, reminding yourself of what God has done and what He will do, that He's taken care of you and that He will, that He's delivered you and that He's going to provide for you. And when you launch out, go. Here's what you need to know. God is a God of power. He sees this guy and his sword is drawn. If you walk up on a guy who has his sword drawn, you're not thinking, hey, do you want to play some dominoes or something? What are you thinking? We're after business here. I don't know what's about to go down, but it's going to be something serious. And indeed, this is what he's thinking. Hey, this is serious stuff. There is a certain amount of power that is on display. And I love how patient God is with our wrong questions. Joshua rolls up on the guy with the sword drawn and goes, hey, uh, just so I know, are you on their team? Are you, are you for the Cavs or for the Warriors? Like, which way is that going to go? And, and th this guy, it, I love God's patience with our silly questions. Because he was very clear. I didn't come to take sides, Joshua. I came to take over. Now get in line. Let's go. That's power. That's power. And that's, that's what... Um, as we launch out, as we follow, that's exactly what we're doing. We already know that God's out there in front of us. He's not taking sides. He's, he's taking over. That's what he's doing. Secondly, uh, notice that there was an appropriate amount of praise. Uh, most commentators, and I think they're right, I'm in agreement with them, most commentators think that this is Jesus showing up before he's a baby. Now, the reason, there are multiple reasons why. They think that you know, he doesn't correct him when he falls down to bow down and worship. The land on which he's standing is holy, so take your sandals off and... Jesus shows up in Revelation 19 about like this. On a horse, with a sword, let's get down to business. So 
He's, there's an appropriate amount of praise given uh, to this commander, the commander of the army of the Lord. And whenever uh, in your Old Testament reading, whenever you encounter the Lord of hosts, you know that name? This is, this is that what we're talking about here. The Lord who has an army behind him who's ready to get down to business. You just picture a guy with his sword drawn. That's, that's what we're talking about here. And then lastly, uh, the, the, you set your eyes on his presence. Look, look if you will. Verse 14, I am the commander of the army of the Lord, and now I have come. I've come. Back in Joshua 1, he said, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And here he is, right there. Here he is, right there. He was going um, to go with them. Uh, one more verse from Deuteronomy chapter 20. You can just write this down if you uh, want to look it up later. But this is chapter 20, verse 1. Chapter 20, verse 1. It says this, when you go out to war against your enemies, which they're going to do here in just the next few verses in Joshua 6, and you see horses and chariots and an army larger than your own, you shall not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And that's what I want to say and where we're going to close. The Lord your God is with you sword drawn, you need God to be a warrior on your behalf, guess what? He'll do it. Provision, you need God to take care of you in ways that you can't even anticipate, good. He's that kind of God. How about mercy? You need mercy today. God has a, a well of mercy that you can draw from. Forgiveness, because your life is absolute wreck right now, you just made a hash out of it, guess what? Jesus has died so that you and I can have forgiveness. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to invite you to pray along with me. And then we're going to stand and sing and respond. And as we do so, if there's anything that we can pray with you about, or we can help you take that next step spiritually, whatever it is, we'll have some folks here at the back tables. We'd love for you to uh, make your way back there, and we'll pray with you. But let's, let's start here. Let's pray together.